Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We are delighted to have partnered with NordVPN again for this season. We partnered with them last year and they are, of course, a supporter of Rangers FC as an official sponsor there. And best of all, we can give you an exclusive NordVPN deal. If you go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand, you will get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free, completely risk-free. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee with Nord. And look, I use this product. I would highly recommend it. I used to work in web, so I know how easy it is to steal people's data, especially if you're using a, a, a Wi-Fi system that, that is a shared one or you're using uh, 4 or 5G, then your details can be out there. With NordVPN, they're absolutely not. And there are other advantages to it as well. Um, you can watch sporting events that maybe aren't being shown in your region. Um, you can purchase flights from different virtual locations, and they do make your flights cheaper. This is very, very useful. What a price is in the UK isn't the same as what a price is in America or a price is on the continent. Um, NordVPN can save you money. Um, you can buy purchasing subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price uh, and you protect your data while travelling and using public Wi-Fi. I keep coming back to that. Anyone who's at the hassle of a cancelled card will know what I'm talking about. So all you need to do is go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand and you'll get a huge discount off your plan and one month additional free completely risk-free I urge you to do it Hello everyone and welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar, I'm your host as always and I'm joined this week by the Sage of Soulcoats, the man described on Twitter this week as like Santa Claus on crack, it's Andy McGowan. Hello folks, um, if Santa Claus on Prozac we are close, I was also described and I quote the biggest banger on Twitter and then instantly blocked the Sunday so you know that's... That's I don't think you're the biggest banger on Twitter. I'm I mean, a banger, you know what I mean? And it's quite subjective, really, about banging size. But uh, no, I, you're normally Mr. Positive, but um, 
I don't think that you're going to be today. And that's because after watching Rangers draw 1-1 at home to Livingston at the weekend, it was very difficult to be. Andy, I think the most frustrating thing as a football fan is because I, I don't I honestly don't believe most of us as football fans think that we are experts, right? I think that, you know, we all know a blowhard that did his coaching badge um and, and thinks he knows better than everybody. But but the vast majority of us I think accept that people who work within football know more about football than we do, understandably. Don't know how happy any of us would be if, if a footballer turned up at our work and told us how to do our jobs. And I think that most of us accept it. So the most depressing thing for me as a football fan is when you can see something is likely to happen and then it does. And that shakes your faith in the people who are making the decisions because you think, well, if I can see this, why can't they? And that performance on Saturday, not simply the result, the result was awful, but the performance I think was one of those days where Rangers resorted right from the start and then kept it going pretty much the whole match to lump, lumping the ball into the box against a side that were deep and had plenty of guys, big guys in the box and, of course, created virtually nothing despite 80% possession. The crowd were expecting a reaction after watching a similarly impoverished attack and display against Dundee. Not only did we not get a reaction... If anything, it was worse. And I just thought Saturday, I thought, nah, there's, there's not coming back from this. You can make the logical arguments about, oh, well, you know, some results, it's only four points, blah, blah, all of that stuff. I just thought, nah, the feeling in, in here today is he can't do this. And I think when you get to that stage, very rarely is there a way back from that. Uh, I think you're right. Um I mean, I'm I'm usually the last one to the table, and and you know, in my logic, I'll say, well, that's because I, I give managers. I mean, do you remember other than this week as senior? I give managers to the last kick of the ball until you know you reach the point where you're like, nah, this this isn't going to change. And I think it's fair. I think it's balanced. I don't particularly like knee-jerk, you know, fan reaction, which is totally understandable. But I think sometimes we lose a bit of the nuance. We, we don't, we're not inside the club. We don't perhaps put into the equation the finances. We don't, there's loads of things, there's loads of variables that we don't always have um, the knowledge of before we, we, we jump to the conclusion to get rid of the manager. I think it's, it's got to be, it's a big decision, especially at a club at Rangers. We don't change uh, Rangers managers well and early. And you've got to have somebody lined up and so on and so forth. But, you know, up until maybe a couple of weeks ago, even after the Celtic game, even after the Liverpool game, I'm like, right, well, this is the guy that took us to a penalty kick of a Europa League Cup, and that can't just be dismissed. But, you know, the eyes don't lie, Chico, as you say in Scarface. You're, you're watching this, and even last week, that first half at Motherwell, David, it was abject. It was totally devoid of anything that you could actually point to and say, right, well, you know, here's a glimmer of hope. And it was more of the same on Saturday. And it's today with everything. It's this selection, the use of squad, the tactics, the um, absolutely everything is dysfunction. It appears. And when you get to that stage, you've got to then say, right, well, how do you, how do you turn this around? 
Yes, it, it can be turned round, and, and I, I think back to Gerard at Tynecastle in the Scottish Cup. You know, who'd have thought that after that we were going to have a, a, a team that went a season unbeaten? And it, so it can be turned round, but you know the chances of this game turned round now are diminishing to the point where it's almost non-existent. Because as you say, once the crowd make their mind up, it's very, very hard to get a collective that size back on board. You would, you would really need to do things that are thing. You need to win at Napoli. You need to, you know, have an unbeat run until January and then beat Celtic. So it, it's it's not going to happen, David. The things we're watching here is, is dysfunction. I, I could go on, but I'll let you speak. That looked a, a tired team at the weekend. I don't just mean physically. I think mentally it looked like a tired team at the weekend. And it's an old team. Uh, there's no getting away from that. Um, you know, we're going to come to Ross Wilson's part in this a little later, but there are a lot of guys in that team who, with no disrespect and have been excellent servants for Rangers, are on the downward slide of their career. And they are struggling to to be able to do it week in, week out, and to do it consistently. Uh, this Rangers team doesn't really play well across 90 minutes. You know, there are games where we have good spells, but it very rarely is consistently on the boil for 90 minutes throughout games. And it certainly doesn't have good periods of performance. I was thinking about this today. Although there have been some very good results under Geo, and there have, and it would be unfair to say that there hadn't, uh, there hasn't really been a sustained spell, Andy, where I've thought, you know, four weeks, six weeks, two months, we've been playing really well. I don't think that's happened yet. And I think that there's always the fear with this Rangers side that there's a game like Saturday in them. And that's because, with the exception of one year for a lot of these players, it's true. That has been the case, that they do do this. And there have been times where when a few of them seem to lose form, it spreads like a contagion. And when a few of them lose confidence, it spreads. And suddenly they're all like that and they're not doing the basics right, which was the case at the weekend. David Martindale came into the press room afterwards and he was asked about his tactics. And the thing about David Martindale is, is I think maybe because of his background, he doesn't do the... Some managers bristle when you ask them about tactics because they think, we, just about we're talking about why are you asking me that? You know, I'm a pro and you'll know you won't understand. He doesn't, he'll tell you. And he said, well, we knew we could deal with crosses into the box, so the plan was we would flood the centre um, and allow Rangers, the centre and you know, a, a line across the back and we would allow Rangers to have possession of the ball wide but deep where the fullbacks were uh, and they would have to put the ball in from there and we were confident we'd be able to deal with them. Rangers put in 73 crosses at the weekend. Again, I go back to their manager could see this and had, had dealt. Everyone in the crowd after 10 minutes could see that and people were, this is not hindsight, people near me at the stadium were saying, stop that, There's, there, you're not going to get anything doing that, just lobbing the ball into the box, their defenders are quite happy to eat that up. And yet, Rangers persisted with it. Now, I don't think Giovanni Van Bronckhorst said to them, right lads, go out there and just aimlessly lump the ball into the box. So there's a disconnect there, Andy, there's something that isn't happening. So, we've completely abandoned trying to play through teams, and by that, I mean, at the edge of the box, things that we could do pretty well. We could mix it up, you know, we could go wide, we had wide players, we had fullbacks, but we could also play through teams around and in the box. We're badly, badly missing to Aribo in that regard, to the point where, as I say, we've abandoned it. We, we very rarely see any one-twos that work. 
are cut through the edge of the box. Um, the 73 crosses thing was, it was apparent, you know, it wasn't a surprise. I heard after the game that there were 73 crosses, it wasn't a, a surprise. But it's even the fact that David, a lot of the crosses, the shape on them is for, you know, 15, 20 yards for the, the, the byline. So it's a specific type of cross. You're no getting defenders, you know, it's, it's bread and butter stuff. And it's probably in their favour. We were very rarely getting to the byline. Kent, who has come in for a lot of flack, I, I feel sorry for him because I don't think he's a problem. And basically, we are playing him like we used to play Brian Loudrop, which is, here's the ball, beat five players and create something. Um, and and he's, he, he tried manfully on Saturday. And, and I mean, I watched the game back and he, he, he did what he had today and quite didn't come off for him. But we are fielding the right. I mean... I know if you ask Van Bronckers, I'd probably say something along the lines of he was there to go inside to create space up the wing for Tavernier. But Tavernier's struggling. We know that. We're all questioning whether he's got an injury that we don't know, if he's playing through something that is in the public domain. So it just beggars belief, particularly when we played against St Mirren with a wee bit of relative gear abandon, you know, with the handbrake off, as everybody says, because we had Matondo and... Um, Sakala, didn't we? Mm-hmm. So, what what changes? You, you, you're trying to tell me that the St Mirren formation is so wildly different and our personal is so wildly different that we can't impose that same game plan that we had against St Mirren. I thought we had 90 minutes of decent play against St Mirren. It was not stellar, you know what I mean? But it was still, in the in the relative context of what we've been watching, it was, a, it was an upgrade. So, I, I couldn't get it. And to go back to your point there about, you know, we've not had... A settled period where we could put a hat on, you know, us being informed in inverted commas. What became a, a refreshing change when Gerard left? We kind of knew we were always going to be four three three or variations of that four three three. I mean, Van Bronckers came in. We were all like, oh, "This is nice." We we, we changed from game to game. We, we use different cha- tactics. But what that's become now is we have no patterns of play because neither the formation, as far as I can see, or the personnel is the same two weeks in a row. And we, we don't have patterns of play. Under Dion Gerard, you know, the, the, the ball came out for a bike kick, you went to Tavernier, it went diagonally into the middle of the park, and within three, four passes, we were up the park. We have none of that now except that horseshoe <laughs> we were warned about. So it's um, accumulation of things. He's been unlucky with injuries, right? And sometimes you kind of end about that, but he's not been unlucky at injuries to the point where we should be performing against the dross that we're facing. Livingston, disrespect, Motherwell, even going back to Easter Road. I said at the time we were playing some kind of game of chess with a team that are worse, the worst Hibs team, a worse Hibs team than was in the Championship. Why are we doing it? It's, um, it's just going on too long and it's not going to change, unfortunately, for me. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Tavernier there. Now, he said at the weekend again that he's fine. The manager has said that there's no injury there. Well, there's something wrong because this is not anywhere near the James Tavernier that we are used to. He's not able to get up and down the flank the way he normally does. And in fact, he's he's starting quite inside now to, to almost protect him from that. And he gets done all ends up at the goal and he can't get back. He can't get back to challenge for the ball which then comes across. It, it should be dealt with. It isn't. 
if he's not injured, then he is woefully out of form. And I mean seriously badly out of form. And if he's not injured, is it more concerning? Does that mean that maybe he's just in that stage where after so many games over the years, players lose a wee half yard? Because an injury can get fixed. Wear and tear is more concerning. It was true because, I mean, the guy's been a machine for us for a long, long time now. And whether it's injury or form or a mixture of both, you know, we, we it was in the post, you know, it was going to happen at some point. We're, we're going to talk about recruitment later on. So you've got to then turn around and say, right, well, why can we not afford to actually give this guy a rest against Livingston at home? <laughs> uh, so that, that goal just in the goal, I've got to say, right, I've watched it. I've watched that a number of times because I, I thought, what what happened there? Apart from Tavernier, but you know, the ball gets kicked out through McGregor. That shouldn't cause a goal, but in itself is a problem because we started the season playing for the back, and and we wouldn't have done that at the start of the season. We've done it now. Arfield doesn't win the ball. Doesn't do enough. Doesn't get Tavernier a hand. Didn't mean a tackle or attempt to tackle or whatever it was uh, in the byline with Tav and Arfield is powder puff. Davies. You know, split second of ball watching to give that guy the space, to, the new player the space to get the ball in turn. It was a disastrous goal from start to finish and to have it in the first couple of minutes, but was it three minutes or something? It tells a story there. We should be setting the tone. That guy in the touchline should be in the stand, you know, from either Tav or from Arfield. Um, it was a disastrous goal and just puts in the back foot. And I think the Tavernier thing. What really bugged me is I see Arfield's in that team ahead of him. So Arfield's never going to go by a man, right? We know that. We know the kind of player he is. He's a, he's a touch and go player. You know, he'll lay it off and make a move. I know his best work is in and around the box. And he's good when you're playing defensively from the front three. You know, if you're, if you're playing a team and we want to press, particularly in Europe, we've seen him utilised. So this is why I, I'm just saying, well, this doesn't make sense to me. Why are we not going for it here? So it's things like that, David, that are happening more often than not where you're scratching your head. Use of personnel. Sakala's good enough to start against Liverpool at home. He's given them enough faith to do that. But then he brings on Matondo first over him the other, the other day on Saturday. It's things like this I just couldn't get. Scott Wright's flavoured a month for a month and a half, two weeks, two months. Then he's out. What, what is going on? Is he placing too much emphasis on what's happening in training? Because, you know, the best one in the world, training's training. It's things like this that are really, really baffling me, and he's not finding, he's not using the ingredients he has to make the best meal that he can. Use a management analogy. He's got all these players at his disposal. He's not finding anything that's melding together. No matter what he does, that then points to larger questions around, you know, formation, tactics, system, and what the players are buying into. On that. Then to, to extend the cooking metaphor, is he just chucking stuff against the wall and seeing what will stick? Because I think when you get rapid change arounds in areas where someone hasn't nailed a position, it's, well, I'll try that and see if this works. I think that's right. I mean, we've seen it, the, the, the ultimate um, test of that in the last 10, 15 minutes after the player gets sent off for Livingston, they threw everything at it and um, they were creaking. And probably if we'd had that for an extra 25 minutes, then we would have won the game. Just Which is a pretty sad reflection on things. Oh, well, I said he's been unlucky with injuries before. So Lawrence is a key injury, right? I really, really think that we have missed him tremendously. I think he was a gem. But by the same token, I've spoken on, on pods about Morelos and how badly he has let himself and his entire club down. But he's been back and 
inverted commas, fit for a good wee while now, and we've still not been using them. And I know that uh, Van Brockers doesn't like two strikers, but I cannot think to Marlon Trendai that Morelos could not play a similar, if not identical, role to what Lawrence was playing because he, he was the preferred number 10, it looked like. I don't think it's that far removed from what he was asked to do when we won 55. You know, how, how often did we remark about him knitting the front four together because he was dropping deep? He's tried to tell me kind of three aspects of that and playing this team and do the same behind the Trolak. So we've now got a player that um, admittedly lets, lets all down, right? But he's came back. He's, he's got, we've got to get a tune-up because he's got a year, no, even a year left, right? So he's got something to play for, whether it's for Rangers or for himself. We've got something to get out of him. And we've not found any notion of a formation that would um, bring the two together, even just to see what happens, right? If you're trying to tell me that I feel that outside right against Livingston is, is feasible, but playing Morelis behind Chola, isn't he? I'm going to say no, this, this just the, defies logic. Maybe I'm being over-sentimental over Morelis and he's done, right? Maybe his, his motivation's gone, I don't know. But something has got to be done here that, that, to spark um, an attacking sense because the other thing that remains is Celtic are blown out of the way because of the play, right? And we've been, it's making it worse. It compounded what we're watching because we know that if we lose a goal, other chances as we've scored two, it's not always the case. It's not always the case you'd see that happen. So we need to see something that would spark some attacking flair or some goals beyond Cholak. Because if we take Cholak out of this team this season, I don't know where we'd be in terms of the, the goal scoring and the ability to, to finish teams off. When the football isn't good, and it's not, right, let's be totally honest here, Rangers don't play entertaining football. It's just a fact. Now, that's okay if you're winning, right? But then winning does become the only thing. That's all that matters. And you need to be top of the league. There were plenty of water teams that didn't play yeah. in football. Um, but they won things. And you knew they would. And you knew that when it mattered, they would show up and they would get the job done. Might not be pretty, but it didn't It didn't really matter. And that's not to say there wasn't moaning. You know, I think it's revisionist to say people didn't moan about the standard of football, uh, even in that second spell where Walter was working miracles. Because we're a demanding crowd and football fans do want to be entertained. But we want to win first and foremost. So yeah. you can be functional and a little bit dull so long as you are top of the league and we're not so then well what is there here to recommend this not a lot unfortunately and i think the sense of frustration around ibrox nobody was expecting a blow nobody was expecting us to go and win five now um which tells you something uh admittedly livingston usually do give both us and them a tough game you know they are well organized they do work hard in their defensive but the players that Rangers have should be more than capable of beating a Livingston team at home. It's just a fact, right? We should be able to create more and work them hard. You can't say their goalkeeper had a particularly difficult afternoon because he no. didn't. It's just a fact. Rangers were not making good chances. There was a lot of throwing their, you know, the players throwing their hands up in the air at each other, you know, complaining about passes not being made, moves not coming off, runs not being made, complaining to each other. One of the things in football... And again, as outsiders, we don't know. You know, I haven't been in a professional dressing room as a player, so I don't know if this is the case. But we talk about players playing for a manager. And conversely, we talk about players not playing for a manager. And players will always tell you that's not the case. They will always tell you that, that that doesn't happen. And then when they retire, they'll go, aye, sometimes it does happen. 
And an example we saw this weekend, Andy, was, of course, a case of a former Rangers manager, Stephen Gerrard, whose mm. team got cuffed uh, to, to finish a terrible run for them uh, away at Fulham and then smashed Brentford 4-0, 3-up inside 15 minutes. So uh, I don't believe that players don't... I don't think they necessarily get together and say, we're not going to play and we're going to lose these matches. I don't think that happened. That's naive. But subconsciously, you know when you see a side playing with... That sort of joie de vivre, you know, you see a team playing with that energy. This Rangers team is not playing with any energy. They look frustrated. They look as though they're expecting setbacks to happen to them. And everything looks like a struggle at the moment. Everything looks like a chore for this Rangers team. There's nobody that you would say is, is you know, Cholak was, but it seems to have slowed down very slightly recently. So that makes it very difficult then to, to get anything going. And... It, you know, we are about to talk about other reasons for this, and they are valid. I don't believe that there's ever just one person responsible. But the the problem managers have in football is, as the most visible and as the the the, the easiest, if you like, to change, they will always be in the firing line. You know, the old cliche: you can't sack twenty five players, you can't sack one manager, and that's what happens in football. We know this uh, increasingly so. So. I just do not get the vibe at all from watching this Rangers team that there is an inherent core of belief in what they're being asked to do. Um, and if there is, then they are doing it spectacularly badly. I, th- I think, and, and it's too easy to read into things, right? But if you you could go through that team and, first of all, it doesn't feel like there's buy-in to what's been projected from the touchline or in training. I don't think Gio's a particularly warm manager, right? I don't think he's he's got the same uh, earthy commonality that you could get for Gerard. If you look at what Gerard used to do, you, you could see that players wanted to play from apart from the fact that his stature went before him. I know Van Brockers had a better career than Gerard, to be honest, but I don't think he's got that same warmth and ability to mix it up, you know, to be the, the father figure and the disciplinarian, I don't think, I think he's much more cold on that, but we don't know that, David, because we just see what we see, and you know, you know better than most of the pressers that he's very, very well trained in terms of his public uh, utterances, but what I was going to say is, if you go through that team and you look at most of the players, would they be sitting there saying, ah, you've given me a fair crack, you, you look at McGregor, right, he's basically been brought back into the cold because, you know, the, the, the Celtic get back over McLaughlin, Tavernier could be playing through a, a an injury, putting himself at risk, is what we presume, and he's the man that's getting put in front of the, the journalist to apologise for a week at this moment in time. There's, there's other players that could go through. Sakala, you know, basically was was on the road out, and all of a sudden he's been asked to, to be the, the wing saviour. Um, Kent's been flogged to death. He's getting um, loads and loads of flight and abuse from all angles, and to be honest, I feel he's been hung out to dry because of the way we play. I spoke about it earlier. The, the formation we play is basically you stand out there, we'll give you a ball and you beat the men up doubling up on you. I think there's a lot of players in there that have got a, a, probably a reason, whether it's justified or no, as professional footballers, to feel a wee bit pissed off and to feel, you know, I've been hung out to dry here. Um, that's what I see, that's what I feel. Whether that's true or no, we don't really know. But I think sometimes when you get a cumulative effect of that, but it's more than a 
couple of players that becomes the core of the squad. There's got to be some kind of sense of, you know, what, what do I need to do to stay in the team, to get a run? Um, so this is what's worrying me. I, I, I think players can down tools. I don't think they're not trying this. It doesn't, and it's two different things. I know it sounds like contradiction, but I think they're trying. They're trying their hardest. But if the belief isn't there in your heart of hearts, then it will only happen. You need to believe and try. That's the thing. Because if you try and you believe, then usually you, you feel there's a reason for doing it. So um, I think there's problems there. I don't think it's unusual in a dressing room. I think it's pretty much... Uh, I'm not going to say he caused it. I think he's been circumstantial, but he hasn't helped. I think he hasn't helped. I'd have liked to have seen players stop by and try and play into form. Um, the only guy that's really had any run of form this season is Barisic, which is mind-boggling, you think, for the last season. You know, we thought he'd be away in the summer. So um, I, I'm, I'm really worried about where we go through here in terms of the, the players' motivations and the Gerard Aston Villa thing that you speak of is a, is a clear example of whatever's happened in that dressing room, whether it just becomes over overbearing in terms of negativity and pressure and, and, and Gerard's the, the focus of that. Maybe we've got the starts of that in this because we're now talking in terms of not just us as support, but the, the media is now talking about, you know, when does this happen? Because something's got to change. And, you know, getting that play Wednesday, that's not going to help. No, that's not going to help matters at all. Uh, yeah, look, here's the, the the elephant in the room, if you like, Andy. I know you, you keep abreast of the finances more than most. Can Rangers afford to sack him and his, his team? Because it doesn't come cheap. Well... I don't think it's budgeted for, put it that way. Um, and you're talking millions. You're talking basically the money we took in for Gerard, I think. Because you kind of get rid of Van Brockers and say to Dave Voss, by the way, you stay, and say to Mackay, you stay. That, that, this really isn't how it works. You might see the, the new guy, Terry Bowley, he, he might hang about because he's got a slightly different role and it, it's probably transferable to a new management team if it comes in, but you've got a massive outlay there for, and I don't know the details and length of contract, I'm, so I'm guessing here, but it's going to be in the millions of pounds. And it will be budgeted for, and I'm becoming persona non grata on Twitter because I'm the one that keeps saying, well, you know, we'll not get as much money as we thought. Even I have realised that the, the Champions League money, just the way things have felt, hasn't been quite the panacea that I expected it to be. I, I've described it as rocket fuel. I still think it's better than, you know, it's still the best thing that could have happened to us, the champion qualifying for Champions League. But um, I still think there's a lot of things around the club that are running hot. Um, I refuse to listen to the kind of mantra that we need to stop talking about 2012 because we're still dealing with the echoes of 2012, right? So football-wise, yeah, I get it. We've moved well, well beyond that. But football-wise and finance-wise for me is inextricable. And I think we've still got some echoes of that. You know, and I don't want to get too detailed on this in a finance pod, but you know, you've got the, you've got the roof. You've got, there's definitely still something there with the Ashley thing we probably have to pay off. We've got, we're trying to create Edmondson House, which folk mock now because, you know, how many assisted Edmondson House get. That's not the point. It's going to give us a million quid a year, which is another good player per year in the future. So there's all these kind of things that are going on and there's still a, the latter stages of the rebuild, 
But what I would get to hear, David, is that what's getting me the unpopularity is I've said that the Rangers support are now inured to massive losses that have just been made by generous benefactors, directors. And the sugar daddy model, I think, is now in our DNA. <laughs> and I think we're finding it really, really hard as a support to understand that what we make is what we're going to have to work with. And the days of fund money from you know directors or investors or share issues is no longer the case. And I think the hard truth is that when they say that they're going to put every penny into the playing squad, and when I say they, I mean the board, that's the wage bill. Wage bill's too high. Wage bill, I'm pretty sure in the couch coming up, I'll be justified in saying that wage bill's too high. So all this kind of stuff and all the, the unrest we're feeling just now and seeing amongst the support, because I think it's just starting, I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet, is underpinned by a slight disconnect from what I see as reality in terms of finances. We're not going to spend our way out of this. We're not. And if you think there's going to be big money spent in January to rectify it, it's no. And even getting into next year, I think we might loosen purse strings a wee bit, but um, it's not as simple as that. The, the world has changed, the game has changed, financial fair play, whatever it's called now, is, is, is going to be a problem for us. And we've got a couple of additional things that have just impinged us a bit too much. So it's... Um, there's a communication problem there. There's a, there's a perception thing that the club has to do something about. I don't know how. It's that time of the show where I talk to you about balls and not the round ones that our players are kicked towards the goal, but the two dangly ones that you keep in your trousers. Because if you are interested in having bald testicles, then there's only one place to go, and that's Manscaped.com. Manscaped are the market leaders for all of you disgusting people who like to walk about with no pubic hair. I think this is a modern affectation, but hey... Well, not mine ads. If you want to walk about with a, a couple of uh, Phil Mitchells in your downstairs, that's quite all right by me. And I'll even help you with 20% off and free shipping if you go to manscaped.com. That's just enter the code Rangers. That's all you need to do. Go to manscaped.com, enter the code Rangers, and they will send you out this lovely package of stuff. And it is a lovely package of stuff, by the way, that you get from them. And it is tremendously effective at shaving body hair in general because I've done my shoulders with it. Yes, I have hairy shoulders. I'm from Ayrshire. But uh, you get loads of stuff with it as well. You get ball deodorant. You get spray. You get a t-shirt. And you get very comfortable boxer shorts. You can also go for their nose trimmer, which is excellent. And trust me, nobody likes hairy noses. I didn't think people liked hairless balls, but yet here we are. Manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping. Use the code RANGERS. Well, you mentioned there, Andy, the wage bill, and that does take us on neatly to the person whose job it is to oversee that, and that is Ross Wilson. And uh, I think it's fair to say that he is under the microscope. It's a long-term bugbear of mine on here, listeners will know. Um, I think the last few transfer windows have been very poor. I think the management of the squad, the existing players, has been poor. And I think that it's left us in a situation where next summer we are going to have to do not through choice, but we're going to have to do one of those um, 10 in, 10 out, 20 player swings that we were told were a thing of the past that we wouldn't have to do anymore because we have allowed the the midfield in particular to grow very old and it hasn't been upgraded and it hasn't been fixed. 
we have allowed players to run down their contracts. And I get there might be the odd individual circumstance there. I get, you know, COVID, the, the world's changing. I get all of that, but it, <laughs> still, it has happened. So you have a situation where next summer, realistically, it's unlikely you're going to have McGregor, Jack, Davis, and Arfield still around. Kamara will, he's desperate to get out. Everyone knows that. So Kamara will go. Um, so that's a whole new midfield needs to be put together. You have guys like Hellander as well going out of contract, so that might not be a bad thing in terms of getting some money that isn't going onto the pitch, at least saved or can be reinvested. But there's going to have to be a radical change. Rangers don't really have any sellable assets at the moment because the last two, um, Kent and uh, Kent and Morelos, are going to go out of contract. So, you know, with the exception of Kamara, who's not worth anywhere near what we thought he was, I think it's fair to say. And obviously as his contract runs further down, his value will lessen. And he's not playing at the moment either. He wasn't playing. I know he's been injured, but he wasn't playing before that. So I kind of look at what Ross Wilson is responsible for and say, hmm, none of this is working. I think his transfer track record is pretty poor overall. Um, If you look at the two windows this summer, I think there were a couple of decent players brought in the summer. I really do. I think that um, Davis looks a good acquisition. I think Lawrence looks a good acquisition. Cholak looks a good acquisition. So, you know, fair. But when I look at his overall record, you know, January transfer window was howling. The one last summer was howling. Uh, the one before that didn't really do much either. I kind of look at this and I say, you've sort of coasted for two years and now all the chickens are going to come home to roost next summer. That's over and above the chickens already roosting on the pitch but even just in terms of business next summer this is a complete and utter failure Andy <laughs> Are you, is that bait for me David Are you try to get me into trouble here no, so, no by all, look that, that's what I think now you might not and that's the whole point of this of this so, site uh, and so, this show you are welcome I will say what I think and then one of the other podcasters who I trust and value their opinion will then say their opinion and I will tell you why you're wrong so there you go <laughs> so um, Ross Wilson gets me in a bit of bother on Twitter because for him I'm trying to be smart a smart arse and I've said I basically say folk don't understand what Ross Wilson's remit is. They don't know his job, and folks say, "How dare you say that?" But I don't. I don't think they understand that this, this is um, a layer above that. Now I know the box stops with him as much as it stops with Van Bronckhorst, and I'm not going to actually go into a defence of Ross Wilson per se because one thing I don't do is I don't just die on, a, on the hill that I, I declare because I can see cracks in my argument now, but. Um, the two guys that are responsible for the for the transfers before Wilson, but, but, but Wilson is the guy that rubber stamps it. But there's a lot of stuff goes on before it gets to him. If you think it's a production line, there's a lot that goes on before it gets to Ross Wilson. And Scolding, another guy whose name escapes me, have left the club. They're gone, uh, and they would have been responsible for the windows that you, you speak of, David. And that doesn't mean it, it absolves Ross Wilson of blame, but. The only thing I can liken to in industry is managing director directors, you know, and, and directors are a bit more operational as opposed to managing director overseas everything. And I know that means the box stops at a higher level, but 
But the, the, the director of football or whatever it's called now is it's a long-term thing and I'm a wee bit, uh, and this is the conservatism in me, in me coming out, I'm a wee bit um, more likely to say no, you stick by the structure, the fundamentals. I've often said, David, folk say to me, well, why do you think? I said, the fundamentals of club are sound. And I'm, what I mean by that is the way we're going direction finance-wise, but also football development-wise. Despite what we're seeing just now, I still think the fundamentals are sound. Now, if you're Ross Wilson and you bring him into this conversation, he's going to say, oh, hold on a wee minute. Right? We're now in a, a model operating where we need to generate our own funds. And he will turn around to you and say, I've just sailed Bassey and Parts into the best part of 25 million. They'll be folk listening to this and they'll be their eyes at me and saying, well, so what? We've no replacement. Correct, but that's not the point I'm making. It's created a vast chunk, which is, you know, a, a third of our annual turnover um, from the player trading model, which is obviously this fourth pillar that we spoke about. We're, we're creating pathways. For, you know, King and Lowry speak of sellable assets. They too will be sellable assets within a year, I think. And... Um, I think that's proof positive of the football department doing something correct, whether that's getting the B team playing where they're playing or whatever. King and Lowry are shining lights of what our youth system can do. You might see next year that Cole McKinnon comes in, I don't know who's in the party, but that'll be the kind of plan that if he does what he's supposed to do. Yeah, these aren't these aren't extraordinary things. These are things that should be happening. What you're saying there, I think, is based on your you're saying, well, we didn't do it for a while and now we're doing it, and it's a case of we're overpraising what should just be normality there. But not every club can do it. So a lot of clubs bring through players, Andy. I know a lot of clubs bring through players, but not a lot of clubs bring through players with the expectation of winning the league and Champions League qualification. But no one's asking them to bring through eleven youngsters and win the league. We're not. We're not doing but, that, but, but I think a, a youth system that gets as much spent on it as Rangers should be able to generate a first-team player every couple of seasons. I, I really don't think that's unreasonable. No, no, I don't think it's unreasonable as well, but we didn't do it before, so we're actually doing it now. Uh, no, so, and I uh, agree, but then, great, you know, well done, but there, there comes a point where, and I agree, see when Ross Wilson came in, there was a lot of stuff that had to be done in terms of building an apparatus, yeah. but once that apparatus is built, it then has to run well, and... I, it's not running well, and okay, that's but, where your first team manager comes in. Well, I agree manager. with that, right? Who he appointed, by the way. But yeah. take that into account. Then let's go back to the squad management point. Then that is him. Yeah. That's one hundred percent him. They've kicked that midfield issue down the road for five transfer windows, and now it is glaring. I've kicked that down the line, um, and this is where this this went. The last windows. Uh, chickens are coming home, home to roost because we've spoke about a 50, 50% being reasonable in the market we are, we are operating so for, for that we had Davis Lawrence Cholak um, the young man's the jury still out and I think he'll be okay but then Tillman's a big player for us and he's no up to speed yet um, he's not the only player that comes in of that nature where he doesn't get up to speed as quick as we want but I kind of saw the reason why we, we re-signed Davis in our field because I thought, well, we're going to introduce a couple of young players this season and we need a couple of heads on the pitch and in the dressing room and they'll not be playing every week. The problem we've got is that things have went so badly wrong when they're turning to them to rely upon them. So there is... I'm not going to defend Wilson's transfer record um, this summer, but, I mean, Ben Davis, we've hardly seen him. Young as 
I think it was for to replace Barisic sooner rather or later, but Barisic has had a wee Indian summer. Tondo has been a major, major disappointment. Um, I, still think, I still think we can get something, but then that's just me being optimistic. Um, Tillman, for me, is a player, but he's not quite hitting the heights of reliability of a number 10 for Rangers. And Lawrence and Chola have been sensational, I thought, for, them, for the outlay. Suter was a gamble that went the way we thought it would go, but you know, I don't think we can chastise the club too much for, for taking that point. So, Davey, I know what you're saying. I'm not going to sit here and take a total polar opposite um, attitude to it, but I do think that is, much as what I've done with the manager, I think you've got to just temper it and balance it because Wilson is the bigger picture guy, and yes, if it's no harm in the moment, it's like stock market, you know, I'm a born stock market guy. You know, bad years, but if you've got five out of six that are good, then that's worth it. And sometimes that bad year is where you readjust to make sure that it's correct. I still think that in time we'll be okay. I'd never ever think it's as bad as we think at, the, at this point in time. I still think if you change management and had a different approach and just use some of that pragmatism we were talking about earlier on, I still think we could do something with the squad. I still think the squad is pretty capable. If we get some of the injured players back, Roof will make a difference. You know, if we get Lawrence back after the new year, I think that'll make a tremendous difference. If we had Morales up to speed, that would make a tremendous difference. So I still think that there's, there is room for this Rangers team to, to actually deliver something. I just Under think, this oh, manager, though? No, because I don't then think... We go, that's then we go I'm back saying. to the point we were making about are they playing for etc, etc. No, I don't think, I think the time's won. I think Van Bronckhorst's time's gone and that's where it comes back to Ross Wilson because continuity is the biggest part of his role and if he's not got somebody or a, or a selection of managers that are available, interested and affordable to us, um, I'm not saying lined up, you know, that would be fantastical, but he he has to have a provision in place just now because as, as you've said, as I've said, as the whole range of support have said, this looks as if it's heading for the rocks. Um, we're pretty close to it. He is the one that, that actually has to find the solution, and that's kind of where I'm going with the longer term picture. Um, I think you've got to stay the course with the, the, the fundamentals. You don't just say, "Oh, well, that didn't work," and then you start again. Because what you do next? You bring in another director of football that does more or less the same as what Wilson's got in the same market with the same money. I don't think that is the the marginal game that will make a difference here. I, I still believe Wilson is doing his job <laughs> as hard as that is for me to defend because I see his role completely different and I'm totally isolated, I admit, from your average bear just now. Uh, that, that, that's, that's where I'm at. Twitter's going to rip you apart. I know, they're Twitter, listen, David, they're already ripping me apart because nobody wants to hear it. But... Changing the director of football isn't he going to change anything very, very quickly? It, it basically what it's saying is by the way, see that five year or whatever year plan it was that Wilson put in place, we've just abandoned it. And by the now, way, maybe we've just completed it, he's been here a while, and maybe it is time for a bit of fresh blood. He's, maybe he's, four he's, years is the ultimate you get, it, or, or that's your shelf life now at, well, at a club uh, like Rangers in the 21st century. Has he been here four years? It's not about the boys half, I don't think. No. I, I, I think. Listen, there'll come a time that I'll be proven wrong because everybody's got a shelf life, right? I just don't think that at this point in time, uh, the board turn around and say, Wilson, you're feeling dramatically as on the cards because they'll be looking at it with slightly different um, 
I'm turning it on a, a, a pure uh, corporate wanker KPIs and performance at big heels. There you go, David. I've just killed your podcast. We're talking about KPIs, the flagship. Fucking KPIs, man. To me, they're a packet of dry roasted peanuts, man. Um, but, right, we've that's long term, and I'm sure that'll spark a lot of debate. But short term, I think we're all pretty much uniform on what our expectations are for Wednesday, and they are low. Um, I was actually just totting up my bills because uh, I'm travelling out to Naples for it, and I thought, I've just spent all this money to basically go and watch something I love be assaulted. Now, well, you're asked because you're going to get stabbed and asked by one of these no, pesky no, ruffians no, no, in the street. No, 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 I won't be. Uh, you know me, Andy. Uh, I like to get my money's worth at a hotel room, so uh, <laughs> you know me. I'll be, I'll be in there. But uh, yeah, look, uh, I don't. You know, and I know there are people that you should always go. Oh, you know, we could. You know, of course we can. Um, I, and emotionally, I'll, I'll try my best for that. But realistically, you know, this team are literally in the best form they've, they've ever been in. I mean, they, they equaled their club record at the weekend with a 11 win in a row. They've sailed through this group of death Champions League thing. They've absolutely annihilated the sides in it um, so far. Just great performance after great performance. Uh, they've got legit hopes of doing something really special this season. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can be optimistic. It's football, it's 11 v 11 yada yada but realistically it's more likely to be a very painful night than it is to be a celebratory one Nah I feel the worst and, and I just want it over with if, if we could take this Champions League and just take the money and then say by the way we don't want to play the games that would have been ideal for us this season um, Napoli are as you say they could, they could burn me a shout actually winning the whole thing mm. so um, it's going to be a tough night for whatever team we put out and uh, Ridiculous as it sounds, we've worked so hard and we've waited so long to get to this promised land of the Champions League. I think that's part of the problem this season. It's just been such an anticlimax in terms of it's been chasing them actually in terms of where we are in the food chain. Um, we just need to get through Wednesday, David, and and minimise the, the 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 damage as much as possible, and not let it affect. Regardless of what happens, not let it affect the Aberdeen game because. At this moment in time, that's probably more important, as perverse as that sounds. It's not where we want to be. We want to be competing. I think we're a good wee, a good bit away for that, despite our heroics last year. Um, I, I, I'm the same as you. I've, I've, I've lost four hundred pound for British Airways for my flights to Naples, and I've never been so glad to lose four hundred quid in my life because I was shame as hell to go earlier, and then it was obviously the football was getting worse and worse as it came closer to the horizon. So. But uh, uh, there you go, that's my, my pessimistic take on it. Yeah, I think um, I set out more in hope than expectation, right? And I'll leave it at that. But you're right, I mean, as, as strange as it might seem to, to non-Rangers fans, Aberdeen is a bigger game for us where we are right now than Napoli is. And as strange as it might seem to outsiders, every single Rangers fan, I think, will understand what that means and they probably agree with it. Um, but those are the demands of where we are. Now, we'll be back next week, of course, on here, and we'll have a much better idea of where we are after these two matches, Andy. Um, so I don't really want to get any speculating about what if this happens, what if that happens, because what will happen will obviously be what we're, we're talking about. Um, but it does seem to be lining up to be, one way or another, quite a pivotal week. 
Yeah. So we're talking about Aberdeen. Aberdeen game is bigger for Van Bronckers. So I think. I think if he gets through damage limitation in Napoli, um, I think it, I don't think it's realistic to use that against him unless you know we get another absolute similar eight nothing or whatever. But I don't know what the board are thinking. This is this is the other the other thing. The board must know what's happening here. Ross Wilson must know what's happening here. And if it's an unforeseen uh, budgetary issue, they're going to have to swallow it, unfortunately, because ultimately the collective is responsible for this. Um, whether it's a, I mean, the, the appointment of Unbrothers was universally lauded. I, I, I said at the time, privately to you guys, I said I'd have preferred to have Lampard. I just thought it was more continuity between Gerard and Lampard and, and you know, British-style football and communication and dressing room. But Unbrothers was universally lauded, so we kind of just see, oh, it was a completely wrong decision. Everybody was saying, oh, that's a good, good appointment. Oh, you, can. you can say we thought it was a good idea at the time, so did the board, but... If it turns out not to be, you can say, but it wasn't. No, you are allowed to do that. I know you're allowed to do that, but um, it's now. It's now. It's went badly wrong. Five months ago, we wouldn't have been saying that. They've got, they've got to have provision for it. And um, I think the results is, is a verbal dictate. We've got to this World Cup. This World Cup deadline is changing the dynamic of the season because it's given a half stop. If you drop any more points, I think something will happen. Yeah, I don't. But, I, but, I don't but David, what, did you, what do you think about if you're going to get somebody lined up? Is it worth it? Did you go? Did you go back to the kind of muddy situation where you're in this? this you would today for a wee while. Yeah, you absolutely prefer not to. But as you say, that um, the World Cup does provide that. I just think the situation would be untenable if Rangers drop any more points. Oh, yeah. Go further behind before the World Cup, then the the noise from the crowd will be far too much, and yeah, you you will have to you will have to act whether you want to or not. It goes out the window. Um, Villa didn't want to sack Steven Gerrard, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, they tried to give him as long as he could. But there comes a point where the crowd will force your hand, and we are very, very close. We're on the cusp of that. Right, folks, thank you very, very much for joining us here on Heart and Hand. As I say, we'll have full coverage on our Patreon from Naples. Uh, if you want to go and have a listen to that, it's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. Adam will be back with Heart and Hand Extra later in the week, which will uh, go over whatever happens in Naples and look ahead to Saturday. And I'll be back here next Monday with the flagship show. So thanks to our executive producers, London, Mike Lee, Paul Miles. And thank you to Andy, because it's easy to come on here and froth at the mouth. It, it, it takes <laughs> No, I mean, it does. It takes more bulks to come out and say stuff that, you know, people are going to disagree with you. Um, so that's one of the reasons I like having you on here, Andy. So well done, Ian. Good. Thank you. Just uh, go easy on me, folks. You know, um, I, I am a human after all. Barely. You work in finance. But anyway, <laughs> even so. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll, take to you, we'll talk to you this time next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.